urging them to protect the most vulnerable of us, our children, by adhering to all the layers of protection. I think it's a good idea, especially in the winter. It's not going to work ever in my household. The strong words from the province's top doctor and what he's saying about masking and how some parents across the GTA are reacting to the potential return of a mandate. Good evening. We'll bring you the details of the masking recommendation in just a minute, but we begin tonight with a developing story in the city's East End. Police are investigating a stabbing at a high school that has left a teen fighting for their life in hospital. CTV's John Woodward is at the scene and joins us now live. John. Andrea, I've been talking to very concerned parents who rushed here as soon as they found out what had happened, a stabbing on school property, the victim, a student in grade 12. My heart's racing. Parents dropped everything and came to Birchmount Park Collegiate when some of their children sent them terrifying texts. He just said that we're in lockdown and um, he's under a desk. Um, They're told to get down and stay away from the line of sight. Doors are locked and secure. He wasn't sure what was happening. Dozens gathered outside the school in South Scarborough. Police say just after three, a young male was stabbed and was rushed to hospital with life-threatening injuries. Reports say that young man is a student here, and the attack happened in a public area of the school, frightening other students. And then when I walked out, I just saw him, like the guy who got stabbed, he just had blood all over his stomach. So like I got scared, so I just ran back to class. Police arrived in force, going door to door and sending children out the east entrance. The reunion's a relief for some, but others say the school's history is an indication that much more needs to be done here. In April, a 14-year-old boy was stabbed outside Birchmount Park Collegiate shortly after students were dismissed for the day. We're all failing our children. You know, as a society, we have failed when this happens with our kids. One parent says she wants the school council to address strategies in a meeting tomorrow. Parents hoping the school can be a safe place for their kids. We did hear from the police just now. There's no word on any suspects, but they say the scene behind me is still active. There are still students there as they go door to door to bring them outside. Uh, and uh, we will stay on this and, and let you know what happens. Reporting live from Birchmount Park Collegiate, I'm John Woodward. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, John. Elsewhere tonight, the spike in respiratory illnesses and our children's hospitals straining to keep pace. The province says it has no other choice but to urge people to get back to the basics. But choice in the issue of masking is weighing on the minds of many parents right now. Queen's Park reporter Siobhan Morris joins us now with more on this. Siobhan. Nathan, moms and dads are being urged to send their kids to school with masks. It's not mandatory. And parents are also being encouraged to rethink masking at home. Facing a triple threat from COVID-19, RSV and influenza. We need a, a reboot, a reminder of what will keep us safe for the rest of the winter season. Not only to protect each other, but to safeguard hospitals, particularly ones that care for children. We've seen uh, the, the ICUs uh, be filled to capacity for pediatrics. We've seen the community beds, uh, the 29 hospitals across the province that have pediatric beds. Uh, those have gone uh, essentially to full capacity. Ontario's top doctor says it's time to go back to basics, washing your hands, keeping up to date with your shots, and pulling your mask out of retirement. I'm strongly recommending that all Ontarians, not just those at high risk, wear a mask in indoor public settings. Especially around the very old and the very young. I'm also recommending that if possible, children between two and five wear a mask with supervision if they can tolerate the mask 
and safely put it on and off. Dr. Moore has stopped short of making masks mandatory in public, but wants you to mask up around children under five in private. They're most at risk to land in hospital. So if you're a parent to a young child waking up with the sniffles... You're saying I should be masking at home? I'm sorry, but you should. Um, you should be doing good hand hygiene, cleaning surfaces, masking as best you can to decrease the risk to that child. Moore says mandates could make a comeback down the road. The Liberals think there's no time like the present. It's time for some decisive action and leadership. We need to go to universal masking in schools and on public transit. New Democrats defer to Moore's medical expertise. A lot of what we're seeing now in, in our ICUs, in our pediatric hospital with all of those six children, rest on the shoulders of a government that refused to act. Siobhan Morris, CTV News. Pediatric intensive care units across Ontario are stretched to their limits. The ICU at the Hospital for Sick Children at 127% capacity much of last week. An unprecedented burden that prompted officials to put some surgical procedures on hold. We certainly haven't seen a surge of so many viruses all at the same time. Uh, frankly, I can't remember this in my entire career. The result, as of today, sick kids will prioritize urgent, emergency and the most time-sensitive surgeries while cancelling other scheduled procedures. At this point, it's unclear just how many surgical procedures could be impacted here. However, sick kids had already reported a surgical backlog that had nearly doubled during the COVID-19 pandemic. The backlog involved 3,800 patients in March 2020, rising to approximately 5,600 this past June. I couldn't imagine. Like, I, I would want my child in right away. Concerned. Um, it's unfortunate that the kids have to go through this. I know my daughter's got RSV right now, and it's been on again, off again for like four weeks. It can be really scary if they do get sick, and uh, the wait times are really, really long, and sitting in a waiting room is terrifying right now. Immunologist Professor Tanya Watts says the reason why hospitals are seeing such a spike is because so many of these children haven't been exposed to RSV or the flu before. We've all been isolating, so what you're getting is the kids in each year who would be getting it for the first time all piled up. But she says it's important to note COVID-19 protocols like masking and lockdowns did not deprive or hurt children's immune systems. They just delayed exposure. If you've been exposed to RSV, your immune system actually remembers that. So specific lymphocytes, T cells and B cells, actually get expanded during the first infection and they stick around for later infections. So that's very specific. So the first time you get a disease like flu or RSV, that's usually the worst because after that, even though flu changes, you still have some immune memory. And right now, given the crisis in our hospitals, Professor Watts, like many medical specialists, is backing masking, among other measures. If we are able to do anything to alleviate that strain uh, by wearing a mask, by washing our hands, staying at home when we're sick, getting our vaccines for influenza, getting our vaccines updated for COVID, it's going to help. Janice Golding, CTV News. Parents once again placed in the middle of this debate and facing a difficult decision. And reaction tonight to the recommendations so far has been mixed. CTV's Allison Hurst has been speaking with families today and joins us now live. Allison. Most of the parents that we've been speaking with say they are encouraged to hear that masking may be encouraged to go back to schools and daycare settings, saying they're seeing class sizes dwindle almost daily due to sickness. Right. How are you feeling? You feeling okay? 
Four-year-old Hazel Mendez is running errands with dad masked instead of at school. Uh, my daughter's sniffly. She woke up today not 100%, so of course, put a mask on no matter what. A decision the province is asking everyone to make, urgently calling for masks in public places and for people to stay home when they're sick. A lot of people are sick or someone in our household is sick, we usually mask. That's another suggestion from the province's top doctor, recommending families, especially those with young children, to wear masks inside the home when someone's sick. In their homes? Um, I don't know, I feel like homes are like, you know, we were quarantined, like we were quarantined at home, so like we don't wear masks at home. So I don't know, like that's kind of a, a personal choice, I guess. It comes amid an unprecedented surge at pediatric hospitals across the province. And parents say kids are regularly missing school. One of my kids, uh, his class, uh, four or five kids are sick and on any given day. So, yeah, maybe masking a bit at this time uh, might help a bit. Oh, last week, so many kids were out, you know, with the flu. And, you know, my, I think my daughter's class had like nine kids missing in it. Ashley Barnes says what's adding insult to injury? The lack of Tylenol. As a parent, your kid has a fever. You know, usually you give the medicine, we can't get it, so we go to the hospital. Okay. Mendez says he doesn't need to see another mask mandate. I think people just have to make their own decisions wisely. Especially as Ontario faces what's been dubbed the triple threat of flu, RSV, and COVID. Now, there is some good news for parents. Health Canada is reporting that it has secured a foreign supply of children's acetaminophen and that it will be available for sale in pharmacies in the coming weeks. Reporting live, I'm Allison Hurst. Andrea, back to you. Thanks, Allison. Well, for many people, it's been a minute since uh, masks were an everyday accessory. So for those who are choosing to mask up, we thought it may be a time for a refresher still ahead. What families need to know from the fit to the fabric and more. That's coming up a little later this hour. Much chillier start to the week than just seven days ago. We'll have a look at the city tonight and what looks like a stretch of winter coat weather coming our way. Michelle Jobins here with a look at the current conditions. Michelle. Well, Nathan, I would say that is accurate. I'm definitely going to be wearing warmer gear as we look ahead because, yes, we're running below seasonal just by a few degrees in some cases right through the week, but it's definitely feeling markedly different than it has been up until this week. Of course, snow squalls through the weekend, those are starting to die down in and around parts of southwestern Ontario like Godrich, but we are looking at snow in the next 48 hours. So we'll talk about that. Winds out of the north at 13 kilometers an hour in Toronto right now around the region, sitting just above zero for the most part or just below. Right now, three at the islands feeling like one, two at Pearson feeling like minus two, minus three though overnight feeling like minus five i'll let you know when we'll be seeing more snow and for how long coming up in your full forecast back to you andrea thank you very much well an eight-year-old oshawa girl has died in what police believe was a murder suicide officers arrived at a home on windlord place around eight o'clock saturday morning following a 911 call they discovered the bodies of the child and her 38 year old father their names are being withheld at the request of the family. Anyone with information is asked to contact police. An inquest into the fatal police shooting of Sammy Yatim has been postponed. The 18-year-old was shot and killed by police on an empty streetcar in July 2013. He was experiencing a mental health crisis at the time. The inquest was set to begin today, but has been pushed to a later date to allow for a motion to be heard. In 2016, former Toronto police officer James Frasillo was convicted of attempted murder in Yatim's death. He was sentenced to six and a half years and later paroled in 2020. 
No word yet on when the inquiry will begin. A new study suggests more people with jobs are turning to food banks. The, WHO's, the WHO's hungry report from the Daily Bread and North York Harvest shows nearly 2 million trips to food banks over the past 12 months. Many of those visitors are employed, but inflation and high costs are leaving them with less money to afford the basic necessities. The groups are calling for more supports for those struggling with affordability. Affordability also on the minds of our provincial politicians tonight. The Ford government has opened the books to its latest fiscal review. And as Scott Lightfoot explains, there's a lot of red ink. The Premier and Finance Minister all smiles as they walked into the legislature this afternoon to update Ontario on the government's financial plans. Today, Mr. Speaker, it is my privilege to stand before my colleagues, old and new. Ontario's fall economic statement offering a look at the state of financial affairs in this province and the plans for the future. Ontario, like the rest of the world, will continue to face economic challenges in the months ahead. Our 2022 fall economic statement highlights our first ever progress report, the significant progress we have made on our plan to build. The province says planning for that uncertainty means it will return to a deficit, about $12.9 billion next year, though that's about $7 billion less than predicted in the last budget. The government says it will continue to press on with plans for $160 billion in infrastructure investment over the next decade, money to be spent on hospitals, highways and public transit. The gas tax cut, something announced yesterday by the Premier, will continue until the end of next year, and the government will double the guaranteed annual income system payment for low-income Ontario seniors. A previously announced pledge to increase Ontario Disability Support Program payments by 5%, now being joined by a plan to allow ODSP recipients to earn up to $1,000 a month without penalty. That's up from just $200. People, I think, expected a call to action from this government. Uh, the last budget was six months ago. This was an opportunity for this government to listen, uh, to learn about what the real experience of Ontarians are, and to act on it. From health care to education, the opposition parties say the government is not reacting to the current situations facing the province and its residents. Why, in an unprecedented health care crisis, would the government not increase health care spending? They're squirreling away this money, in their words, to be flexible. The health care crisis that we're experiencing is exactly the time that they should be flexible with their budget and spend the money. You would never know we're facing a health care crisis a homelessness crisis, the fact that we're forcing people on ODSP to live in legislative poverty, the fact that we're facing a climate crisis, reading this fall economic statement. And along with increased income tax relief for businesses, the government says it will also create a voluntary clean energy credit registry for corporations to help them reach their environmental goals. Scott Lightfoot, CTV News, Queen's Park. You can get the full fiscal picture of how the province is looking tonight on our website. Get the latest updates on this story online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. The Ontario government has kept its end of the bargain in a deal that ended a brief strike at schools earlier this month. A law that banned education workers from walking off the job has been repealed. The ayes being 100 and the nays being zero, I declare the motion carried. <laughs> 
Today's vote was on Bill 28, which also imposed a contract on 55,000 QP workers. It was intended to prevent them from hitting the picket lines, but thousands of education assistants, librarians, and custodians did so anyway. Last week, the government offered to withdraw the legislation if the walkout ended. QP reacted this afternoon after the bill was repealed. Ontario education workers have our rights back. With the repeal of Bill 28, my co-workers and I have our chartered, protected right to bargain and right to strike once again. What's more, we have an imposed contract off our backs. Let me be clear. Bill 28 was a direct and existential threat to workers' rights and worker power. The sides have resumed bargaining. Let's hear it for the great Boria Salming! Many hockey fans tonight still talking about this weekend's tributes for Boria Salming and the health of the Leafs legend. Appearing before an emotional crowd Saturday, Salming showed us the grit he was known for as a player while giving us a reminder of our mortality. Our John Musselman joins us now with more. John. Well, Andrea, certainly it was an emotional uh, moment Friday night and again on Saturday. In behind me, the red carpet out tonight for the Hall of Fame inductee ceremony. It was a powerful moment, a legendary captain in tears holding up the arm of a beloved teammate in the medical fight of his life. Former defenseman Boreas Salming was diagnosed with ALS this summer. He can no longer speak, but Daryl Sittler says the family has told him the tribute on Friday night at Scotiabank Arena is the happiest Salming has felt in months. I mean, he's a, a teammate, a friend. I wasn't sure exactly if he was understanding the, what was going on and I knew that the fans loved him and why not put a wave up and and then Borja got his other hand up which you see here in the statue uh, that's kind of a signature that he has so and a second tribute before Saturday's game including a video highlighting Salming's incredible 17-year career former teammate Dave Tiger Williams fought back tears today thinking about his teammate and his friend for me it's been an emotional Roller coaster. It's been hard. Fans who were in the building say it was an emotional scene. To see Daryl Sittler and, and, and Lanny and those guys, and you know, and they're very emotional and stuff. It's uh, it's hard. Like it's, you know, he was such a great fixture here in Toronto and Canada for a long time. I don't think there's anybody in hockey that would ever say a bad word about the guy. I didn't get to see them play, unfortunately, but I know he was a big staple for the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs and Sweden as a whole. ALS, commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease, attacks the body's nervous system, causing loss of muscle control. There is no cure. Tammy Moore is the CEO of the ALS Society of Canada. She says Salming's rapid decline is heartbreaking, but his courage coming forward will help others. Moore says ALS research is chronically underfunded, and there is so much we still don't know about it. So often people don't know until they see or until they've been in touch with somebody that has ALS. And so for them to see, it causes people to question, what is it? Could I get it? And for us to each realize we have a 1 in 300 chance in the course of our lifetime. So while we think of ALS as a rare disease, it truly isn't that rare at all. Salming was the first Swedish-born player elected to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Sittler says the 71-year-old Salming wanted to make the trip to Toronto for the Hall of Fame weekend activities. A weekend Salming, his family, teammates and fans will always remember.
And Siddler did admit to me today it was a very difficult situation being on the ice there, but he was so proud to be there for his friend and his teammate. Reporting live, I'm John Musselman. I'll send it back to you. Thank you, John. The RCMP has arrested a Hydro-Quebec employee accused of spying for China. While employed by Hydro-Quebec, Mr. Wong allegedly used this position to conduct research for a Chinese university and other Chinese research centers. He reportedly published scientific articles and submitted patents in association with this foreign actor rather than with Hydro-Quebec. Yusheng Wang faces four charges, including fraud for obtaining trade secrets and unauthorized computer use. The 35-year-old from the Montreal area is accused of sending information to China to the detriment of Canada's economic interests. He will be charged during a court appearance tomorrow in Longueuil. The RCMP investigation started in August following a complaint from Hydro-Quebec's corporate security branch. The Canadian government is slapping Russia with more sanctions and giving Ukraine half a billion dollars. The announcements were made in Indonesia, where world leaders are gathering for the G20 summit. CTV's Annie Bergeron-Oliver reports. It didn't take long after landing in Bali, Indonesia, for the prime minister to take the stage at a pre-G20 summit and call out Russia for the global instability it created by illegally invading Ukraine. Russia's brutal war in Ukraine is creating food and energy crises. It's disrupting supply chains and raising the cost of living. The war in Ukraine is expected to loom large over the G20, which starts on Tuesday. Many Western countries, including Canada, are intending to not only strongly condemn Russia, but freeze out its foreign minister attending in President Vladimir Putin's place. And while there were rumors Sergei Lavrov was taken to hospital shortly after landing in Bali, new video shows Lavrov sitting in his hotel telling a reporter the rumors are a political game. The Canadian foreign minister who said she wouldn't meet with Lavrov isn't ruling out a walkout or a boycott. We are always coordinating with our allies uh, on this very issue. And I'm in contact with many of my American and European colleagues. To further challenge Russia, Canada has put 23 new sanctions on Russian police officers, judges, prison officials and investigators, who Canada accuses of participating in grave violations of human rights. In addition, a $500 million military aid package was announced for Ukraine. The last $500 million package revealed in the 2022 budget included winter uniforms, ammunition and armored vehicles. But today, few details about what will be delivered and when were revealed. Our goal is to make sure that the troops in Ukraine on the ground uh, have access to uh, additional military support. While the war in Ukraine will be top of mind, so will growing tensions with China. U.S. President Joe Biden had a meeting with Xi Jinping tonight, the Australians and French later in the week. But so far, Canada won't say whether it has a meeting scheduled or even wants one. Annie Bergeron-Oliver, CTV News, Bali, Indonesia. Several high-profile works of art have been defaced over the past few weeks by activists demanding action on the climate crisis. This weekend, the target was a Canadian painting. Two women threw maple syrup at Emily Carr's stumps and sky, hanging at the Vancouver Art Gallery. They then glued themselves to the wall, demanding an end to the coastal gasoline pipeline project. Staff at the Art Gallery believe there was no permanent damage to the 1934 work of art. Police are investigating. 
The new king celebrated his 74th birthday today. The band of the Household Calvary played happy birthday during the changing of the guard ceremony outside Buckingham Palace. There was also gun salutes for Charles, who marked the occasion by replacing his late father as the ranger of the great Windsor Park. Buckingham Palace released a new photo of the king next to an old oak tree in the park. It is one of the country's oldest landed estates. And the Toronto Argonauts are hoping to become the new kings of the CFL. Still ahead, what the team and fans are saying about their Grey Cup chances next week. And I'm Pat Foran. Coming up on Consumer Alert, the list of the most stolen vehicles in Canada is out. And thieves continue to target SUVs. The insurance industry is blaming organized crime. I'll have the top 10 most stolen. That story is just ahead. Two degrees at Pearson Airport right now, minus three overnight. For the most part, partly cloudy, but a chance of seeing some flurries after midnight. More snow on the way tomorrow and wind chill will definitely be a factor. We'll talk about what snow you'll see coming up and stay with us. We've got another full night of great shows for you right here on CTV. Car theft continues to be a huge problem across Canada, and it appears to show no signs of slowing down. Police blame organized crime for many of the thefts and say stolen vehicles are often shipped overseas. Uh, Pat Foran has our story on Consumer Alert. Pat. Thanks, Andrea. Nathan, five of the top ten most stolen vehicles in Canada are SUVs. Three pickup trucks also made the list. Police say Toronto and Montreal are both rich hunting grounds for car thieves. The most stolen vehicle in Canada is the Honda CRV. More than 4,000 of them were stolen last year. That's an average of 11 each day. The so number one was stolen. I think part of it is its vulnerabilities uh, for theft, uh, but also its demand overseas. Number two on the list is the Lexus RX series. Over 2,000 were stolen last year in Ontario. We've done many stories with frustrated owners. I've had the truck stolen three times in three years. Next on the list is the Ford F-150 series. We just interviewed someone last week who had their Ford pickup truck stolen from their driveway. I feel sad and even scared. Next on the list is the Honda Civic and the Toyota Highlander, followed by the Ram 1500 series, the Chevrolet GMC Silverado Sierra pickup, the Honda Accord, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, and the Toyota RAV4. Stolen vehicles cost the insurance industry several hundred million dollars a year and lead to higher premiums for drivers. When you're looking at several thousand uh, vehicles being stolen and the average payout nearly $30,000 per vehicle, the, uh, the cost to the industry is, is significant. It's believed organized crime is behind the vast majority of auto thefts. Many of the stolen SUVs, cars and pickup trucks are loaded into containers and then shipped overseas. We believe the majority of vehicles out of Quebec and Ontario are destined overseas. We believe we're a source nation for vehicles. While manufacturers are making changes to try and make vehicles harder to steal, the criminals are never far behind. Criminal networks that we're dealing with here are, are that sophisticated that they can adapt as quickly as the manufacturers can make changes. If you have one of the vehicles on the list, you're advised to try and park indoors, use security cameras and vehicle tracking devices. And it's not just car theft. There has also been an increase in the number of car jackings. There have been more than 180 car jackings in Toronto this year. That's almost double over last year. On your side, I'm Pat Foran.
If you have a consumer story idea, email us at alert at ctv.ca. So on the weekend, I mentioned the fact that I don't have my snow tires on yet. And of course, my tire guy, Jeremy, was listening. So when I called him today, he said, I was expecting your call. So I'm going in on Wednesday. Uh, good timing. However, <laughs> you might, I mean, it, it, it's also a good thing if you have them already, yeah. because I think here in the city of Toronto proper, we're going to see a little bit of accumulating snow, but a lot of it is going to be that kind of wet, oh. slushy, oh. messy stuff that's happening in the uh -oh. next little while. Yes, it, it is something that we want to keep in mind. And the, I think the main thing I would like people to know is that roads will be slippery tomorrow and we're going to have to readjust because it's been a little while, especially here in the city. Weather is brought to you by train. The most reliable heating and cooling brand. It's hard to stop a train. The other part of the story is temperature. And of course, that's why we're getting this precipitation of the freezing type combined with the area of low pressure that is moving in. And we're in general running below seasonal over the next seven days or so. We reached 4.5 degrees around the lunch hour today. Should be hitting around seven this time of the year. So it's not that far off. But once we start to get in those marginal territories in terms of did, uh, the lower single digits and then in a minus territory, that's when things start to really freeze up on the roads as well. Uh, so we're, we're, we should be around one degree at this time of the year. We're going to hit below that really through much of the region through the overnight period. So minus three feeling like minus five. And there's the good opportunity for seeing some flurries, especially if you're in around the G Toronto and the western edges of the GTA or the greater Toronto Hamilton area close to the lakeshore. And I'll show you why in just a moment. But just four degrees tomorrow. And it's tomorrow that we have that potential for accumulating wet, slushy, messy snow and or rain snow mixing if you're a little bit closer to the shores of the lake. So, so snow squalls to the north have been the problem over the last few days. They've started to die down, but we have this new incoming system that's bringing us winds out of the northeast. And when it does that, it's going to enhance some snowfall off of Lake Ontario instead of the upper Great Lakes. And I'll show you how that starts to give us precipitation over the next little while. And again, this could be because temperatures are marginal, a little bit more rain if you're closer to the lakeshore, but somewhere three to six centimeters of snow, maybe even a bit more than that if you're in northern portions of the GTA. And that carries into tomorrow night and into the morning on Wednesday and starts to clear out as we get later on, but it's quite cool on Wednesday. So again, easily three to six, I would say, in the city of Toronto, but a little less if you get more rain. So looking at the seven-day forecast, four degrees tomorrow, windy, zero overnight. We have that accumulating rain-snow mix, two on Wednesday. It's going to be quite windy during the day tomorrow as well, carrying over into Wednesday, Thir four on Thursday, Friday, one degree, and that lasts into the weekend. And then, of course, feeling quite polar for the Santa Claus parade on Sunday. Back to you, Nathan. All right. Thank you, Michelle. After the break, masking up the right way. What families need to know about face coverings during this latest wave. On air, online, on every platform. Escape tragedy by mere moments. CTV News Toronto. A story you'll only see here. Winner of the Canadian Screen Award for Best Local Newscast. We have developing details. Watch weeknights at 6. Welcome back. A masking mandate is not on the table yet, but it may be a good idea to pull your face coverings out of hiding. Our Beth McDonnell has a few do's and don'ts about masking that families will want to know. The surgical mask overall is a good mask. It has three layers. 
The only problem that I see with the surgical mask, especially uh, when they are put on the kid's face, is their fitting. Dasantila Golemi-Kotra is a microbiologist who studies infection transmission and has a lot of masks. With the help of her 12-year-old daughter, Gita, she's showing us the do's and don'ts of kids wearing masks for good protection. In the don'ts category, I'll put a single-layer mask, this uh, sort of a, um, almost like plastic-like looking uh, mask, a mask that doesn't fit well, a mask that goes under the nose or underneath the chin. See how loose is here and how loose is on the sides. Um, the purpose of the mask actually is to sort of filter out the air that we're breathing out, the exhale. And if that mask is not uh, fitting well, then the mask is not doing its job, no matter how good of a quality it is. A much better option for little ones, Golemi Kotra says, is a soft and comfortable two-layer cotton mask. So this one, the gaps here will be much smaller, and especially on the sides, there is no gap here. And also underneath. Another good option, she says, is adding an N95 filter purchased online to a cloth mask with a pocket. How does that feel? It feels good. So this is a good mask. It has the, um, the nose wire and it fits relatively well here, but um, yeah, so it's not the as black good. The black one was even better. The black one is even better. In the deuce category, it should be a well-fitted mask. That is so important. Golemi Kotra says two cotton layers, more dense than polyester, can prevent about 80% of particles being expelled. She says an N95 mask is 95% effective, considered better, but not if it doesn't fit right. This N95, good for her, not for Gita. And the nose here, there is a, a big gap just because it's a, it's a bit big for her. Same with this N95 style as well. Especially up here, so maybe fine on the side, but... Golemi Kotra says in crowded places, it never hurts for kids and adults to wear masks as they put up barriers against the virus particles circulating around us. Beth McDonnell, CTV News. Pandemic lockdowns, gathering restrictions, and travel bans coincided with a record decline in I do's in this country. Mm -hmm. Stats Canada says more than 98,000 marriages were registered in 2020, and that's one third lower than in 2019. 2020 saw the lowest annual number of marriages since 1938. It was also the largest annual drop since records began in 1921. The decline was more severe in Ontario and eastward where early COVID-19 precautions were generally more strict than out west. Nickelback is going into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame. The pride of Hannah Alberta will be inducted during the Juno Awards on March 13th. Meanwhile, Nickelback will be one of the headliners at next year's Boots and Hearts Festival. The band is scheduled to perform Friday while country superstars Keith Urban and Tim McGraw take the stage on Saturday and Sunday. The festival, August 10th to the 13th, is in Oromodonte, north of Toronto. Jim Carrey won't be allowed into Russia anytime soon, and he's not the only one. The actor is one of 100 Canadians being added to a list banning entry to the country. It's in response to sanctions against Moscow by the Canadian government. Author Margaret Atwood has been added to the list as well. There are now more than 1,000 Canadian nationals and entities banned.
Comedian and former late-night talk show host Jay Leno has been hospitalized after an accident involving one of his beloved cars. Leno's face was reportedly seriously burned, and he was admitted to hospital after one of his vehicles caught fire in his large home garage on Sunday. The 72-year-old has a legendary car collection of over 200 exotic vehicles, including a fire engine worth as much as $100 million. A scheduled appearance in Las Vegas was canceled this weekend in light of the incident. A source reports his eyes and ears were not affected, and he remains in a burn ward at an L.A. Burn Center. Stars Tonight is brought to you by Lastman's Bad Boy. Who's better? Nobody. Back in the Grey Cup for the first time in five years, the Double Blue is getting prepped to double up the layers. We'll preview the big game ahead after the break. Preventing viral illnesses. Tomorrow on CP24 Breakfast. How to shield kids from the surge as the province urges the public to mask up. CP24 Breakfast, where Toronto gets its everything every morning. Social workers are on site this afternoon to support uh, all of those impacted by what occurred here this afternoon. Obviously, our heart goes out to uh, the victim in this, and it is our hope that uh, he makes a speedy recovery. Updating our top stories, a 17-year-old boy is in hospital with life-threatening injuries after a stabbing at Birchmount Park Collegiate Institute. The school was briefly placed under lockdown as a result of the incident. In response to the worsening trends and existing challenges for our healthcare system, I'm strongly recommending that all Ontarians, not just those at high risk, wear a mask in indoor public settings. Ontario's top doctor is urging residents to wear masks in public spaces as the province battles a rising number of respiratory viruses. Dr. Kieran Moore stopped short of a mask mandate, instead urging people to keep up to date with vaccinations and screen for respiratory symptoms. So number one was stolen. I think part of it is its vulnerabilities uh, for theft, uh, but also its demand overseas. The Honda CRV was the most stolen vehicle in Canada last year. However, Lexus RS series vehicles top the list in Ontario. Police say many of the vehicles are targeted and then resold outside the country. In business, there are reportedly more job cuts coming to the tech sector. With more, here's Jacqueline Hansen from BNN Bloomberg. Bloomberg is reporting that Amazon will cut as many as 10,000 positions. It would be joining a growing crowd of tech companies laying off workers to slash costs. Earlier this year, the tech sector had been among those that were desperate to hire. But that's been changing. Tech has been especially sensitive to higher interest rates, a shift away from the pandemic's e-commerce highs and to a pullback in spending by advertisers. Facebook's Meta, Twitter and ride-hailing company Lyft have also cut hundreds, if not thousands, of workers. However, if Amazon cuts 10,000 jobs, that would be less than 1% of its global workforce. Let's take a look at some of the closing market numbers for today. The Canadian dollar is trading lower by more than a quarter of a cent to about 75 cents U.S. West Texas Intermediate Oil fell about $3 to $85.87 U.S. a barrel. And Western Canadian Select also fell about $3 to $56.53 U.S. a barrel. As for stock markets, the TSX lost almost 200 points to end the day at 19,921.81. That is the latest in business. I'm Jacqueline Hansen of BNM Bloomberg.
The Raptors are back on the hard court tonight, eyeing a return to the win column. Man wide open for this. And Brissette at the rim. Toronto's in Detroit, and on a two-game skid, the team has been mired in injuries, losing Pascal Siakam, Precious Achua, and Fred Van Vliet. The good news is that they face a Piston squad that sits last in the East. The bad news is the Motor City has beaten the Raps in their last six meetings. Tip-off is at 7. The Toronto Maple Leafs will be without one of their top defensemen for at least three months. Jake Muzzin is out indefinitely with a cervical spine injury. He'll be reevaluated in late February. The veteran blue liner was hurt October 17th during a game against Arizona. He's played just four games this season. Meanwhile, fellow D-man T.J. Brody will be out a minimum of two weeks with an oblique injury. Argo fans are still likely recovering from a bit of a hangover. They've been celebrating since Toronto booked a spot in the Grey Cup final. Here's Raheem Ladani with a look at what promises to be a big week ahead for the double blue. You know spirits are running high among the Toronto Argonauts when players are bringing lunch for the entire team. What you got in there? Ah, uh, got some food, some Jamaican food, man. <laughs> and why shouldn't they be in a good mood after punching their ticket to the Great Cup for the first time in five years? I know some of the guys went out and had some fun, and uh, I, I was getting some messages and calls to, to head out, but I uh, hunkered down and got some good sleep. The last time the Toronto Argonauts and Winnipeg Blue Bombers met in the Great Cup, it was 72 years ago in 1950, right here at Varsity Stadium. But the field back then looked a lot different. The game became infamously known as the Mud Bowl after equipment used to clear the snow tore up the turf. This time around, the Double Blue are packing for Regina and getting creative on how to stay warm during possible double-digit negative temperatures. I think there's some Viking blood in me and I've been growing the beard, so... Hopefully it'll be a little bit of help. Sunday's game at BMO Field drew an impressive 21,000 fans. But as crews tear down for another season, there's something left to be desired. We're kind of a, a forgotten stepchild, kind of, <laughs> in a lot of ways. We want to you know, be known around the city. We want to do well for the fans. These varsity athletes think the CFL needs to do a better job connecting people to the sport. I think over the past like 30 years, CFL did a poor job marketing to a younger generation. Like for us, we play the sport, so we obviously know. I think covering youth sports, the OUA, Canada West, all those major leagues. We spoke with a number of young adults who also had some thoughts. I've never actually seen like Toronto Argonauts around the city. Like no one's actually promoting it like really big. Mayor Tory. He really sort of pushes the Raptors, the Leafs, as really big teams. And I think if the same could be done for the Argonauts. One thing that will certainly help lure in a bigger fan base, Anargo's win on Sunday, bringing home the 109th Grey Cup back to Toronto. Raheem Ladani, CTV News. And finally tonight, a profile of a local club working to put more fun into our national sport. As Sean Lee Thong explains, organizers are emphasizing playtime as well as family time. As this group of 11-year-olds takes the ice, there's a different feel to their practice. They're members of Top Sports, a club that's rethinking competitive youth hockey in the city. A hockey season that allows for your family life and your kids' life to include other things other than hockey. Co-founder Luke Earl is a former professional and college player at Yale. Originally from the U.S., he saw youth hockey in Toronto as inefficient. 
Too many games, too focused on winning. We want the kid choosing the sport. We want the kid to fall in love with the sport. At Top Sports, kids play about 20 games a year, but practice 60 times, making enjoyment and improvement the priority. Some of the over 100 players came from the Greater Toronto Hockey League. Ben Fletcher is one of them. Definitely a better hockey player. Um, the coaches are great. Um, yeah, I think it's just all around. I like the environment here. And the schedule is consistent. The same nights each week. The entire season scheduled months in advance, allowing families to plan around hockey. Uh, I think it's great. I like playing multiple sports. Also running soccer and lacrosse leagues designed to allow kids like Fletcher to play all three sports with no scheduling conflicts. And then here we have our, our kind of our three logos for our academy teams. At their head office in Leaside, co-founder and executive director Ian McKenzie says variety is key. Our belief is that the best all-around athlete ultimately in the long run becomes the best single sport athlete. So while the concept of top sports may be catching on with parents and players, they are finding some resistance from traditional clubs that is limiting their ability to play against other teams. Top Sports plays in the Ontario Rep Hockey League with teams across Ontario. They cannot play teams in the Greater Toronto Hockey League. We reached out to the GTHL and they sent a statement in part saying there are programs that exist that are not members of the Greater Toronto Hockey League, Ontario Hockey Federation and or Hockey Canada. Programs that are members are only permitted to participate against other members. We also went up to Hockey Canada who said Hockey Canada has no regulatory authority over unsanctioned hockey programs and therefore would not be able to ensure players within its minor hockey system if they were to participate in such game play. Top Sports says they have their own private insurance, but that there's just no option for them to become sanctioned. If you're not within the GTHL, there is no option to be sanctioned. There's no way you can get sanctioning. There's nothing that we can apply for. There's no checklist of things that we could uh, provide. In the meantime, Top Sports aims to keep growing their program, hoping to create more locations within the city perhaps even their own league. Sean Leethong, CTV News. All right, one last look at the forecast. How are things looking tonight? On the chillier side, and really on the chillier side all week, if there's one thing I'd like people to know, that it's going to be cooler and windy tomorrow, and the roads will be messy. We are looking at a bit of a messy rain-snow mix at times, starting as flurries, and then more accumulating wet snow tomorrow as we get later in the day. So, yes, some snow to shovel for some of us, but regardless, slippery roads. Pulling out my boots. Thank you, Michelle. Be sure to join Omar Satudina tonight at 11 for CTV National News, followed by Pauline Chan with our next local newscast at 11.30. In the meantime, our coverage continues anytime on CP24 and online at ctvnewstoronto.ca. Michelle Jobin and all of us here at CTV News, thank you for watching and have a good night. Good night.